cracking lovely people welcome back to the big feed up hq podcast the podcast about nutrition movement outdoor experiences i hope this finds you well oh, getting close to 100 episodes so if you're the first time to the pod then get back into the feed after listening to this episode scroll through look at the titles see what resonates with you and i hope you enjoy it I hope you get something out of this episode some of the other episodes that you listen to now today joining me on the pod is a lovely lady called grace hatton now grace contacted me on instagram after i sent out a short message basically saying look i'm keen to record more podcasts very happy to have loads of different kinds of guests on and she sent me a really interesting message on the dms i'll read it out for you all Hi Matt, I'm a frontline doctor in A&E at King's in London and I have a research background as a pharmacist, drug development, delivery and clinical trials. I used to run with you on the North Face Tuesday nights, so that was a community I used to help out with called Never Stop London as part of the North Face brand in London. Anyway, I digress. would be happy to be a guest if I can shed any light with some recent events and also I've got a bit of experience working in liver transplant medicine so perhaps that could be of interest giving nutritional requirements post-transplant let me know if you fancy a chat grace oh, see so obviously she's a very interesting person very educated and really good conversation I think we're going to have with her so before we get into the chat with grace I just want to let you know about company that helped me out with the show 33 fuel they produce natural and powerful sports nutrition products lovely people we're talking chia seed energy gels ultimate greens powder protein powders energy bars protein bars and you can get 10 percent off by using matt 10 at checkout so let's get into my conversation with grace Grace, look, it must be a very busy time for you. So welcome to the show. Thanks for giving the listeners some of your time and how are you getting on? Well, well thank you for having me. Um, yeah, not too bad. It's uh, We were just talking before this started recording about how it's sort of chaos for everyone, really. And um, it was it was really lovely, actually, last week. I um, work in sort of the acute medicine units um, and do a bit in A&E in a very busy central London hospital. And um, I got a load of texts last Thursday when there was a sort of the clap for the NHS um, that was taking place and everyone stood outside on their doors clapping and uh, my dad texted me and my mum texted me saying we're stood on the door clapping and I think my response was just very rushed like that's great but I'm still stuck in A&E and can't hear a thing so yeah but it was lovely because friends had recorded videos and whatnot the clapping so I got to see that um, in the aftermath so that was quite nice it's been it, the, the support's been overwhelming so it's really really lovely oh, that's so good. A, a, an obviously horrible situation yeah, no, it's so good. And I think it's good to have you on because, look, everyone's watching the news. Everyone's yeah. tuned into statistics. You know, we're hearing more from uh, health in terms of, like, the minister, the government side of things. But it's just good to get you on and look under the hood a little bit. So um, maybe the simple thing to start off with is, how, you know, how how has your day job changed? Um, but then maybe before that, just let people know what, what a kind of typical day or typical shift is like for you anyway. That's probably a good place to start. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've, I've got a bit of a weird role as a doctor. So I'm, I'm relatively junior. I'm only a couple of years post uh, med school. So still 
at the at the early stages of my career, but I have a lot of uh, experience in research, and that was whilst I was doing my degrees. I've got a degree in pharmacy as well, so I, I was a qualified pharmacist, um, and apparently now have the option to be one again, um, because I think with everything that's going on, uh, the register of email me and said, do I want to be a pharmacist as well as a doctor, which is, which is nice. Mm. Um, but I, I got into a lot of work with drug development research whilst I was studying pharmacy, and then that carried on into my medical degree, and then I was just carried on doing research ever since so a bit of both sides of the the clinical seeing patients and then also the stuff in the lab um so a typical day for me would be dependent on whether i was actually on the wards or whether i was in the lab Um, i've been doing a lot more ward-based work in the past couple of months um, and recently completed a diploma in tropical medicine um, and hygiene in london which as it turns out was an incredibly topical thing to have done Um, a typical day i guess i i mostly work on the acute medicine unit um, as i've mentioned and that's always a rather hectic place to work anyway, even before all of this um, started happening with the coronavirus pandemic. Mm. So a typical day would be you meet at around about eight in the morning um, with your particular team. Um, You see patients that have come in through A&E overnight have been referred to medicine, or you see the patients that we already have on the wards. And the idea being with an acute unit, you want to um, sort of see them quite quickly. They've usually come in with a short-term problem that we're not expecting that they'll be in hospital for weeks necessarily. We aim to try and get them out um, in a short period of time if they've got an infection that we can treat quite quickly and then send them home on antibiotics or if it's something else that just needed a bit of monitoring and then hopefully try and get them home. So it's quite full on um, because you've got a lot of patients, you've got a lot of things to do um, and you tend to have people distributed all over the hospital. Uh, What's happened in the past two weeks, and, and it really has just been the past two weeks that everything has completely been flipped on its head for everyone, of course, um, but also for us behind the scenes, uh, we've sort of just turned to working a seven-day rotor. So what that means is typically you'd have your on-call shifts, and by that I mean weekends, out of hours, um, but you'd know about that in advance um, as to where you're going to be and what you were doing week, you know, weeks in advance. And now with a seven-day rotor, that means... It, Typically, you can just be working a weekend or have a random day off in the week without really knowing week on week. I think we've just switched to a three-day on, three-day off rotor, which is actually really good for the staff. It gives you a proper break um, in between everything that's going on. But the consultants, so the senior doctors are now working night shifts as well, which was just unprecedented before any of this happened. They'd be on the phone at home if you needed advice, but they'd rarely have to come in. And now they're on site as well. So it's really all hands on deck. Mm. And it has been really heartwarming to see as well, because everyone really has pulled together um, in such a short space of time as well. And I appreciate for a lot of people that aren't medical, um, it's difficult to kind of get an idea of what's going on behind hospital doors. And we've stopped visitors now as well because um, of the risk to potentially exposing other people um, from those visitors going home or going out on the street, obviously bringing people out of their homes when the message is stay at home or indeed potentially making people in hospital, um, such as staff and otherwise well patients who we don't think have the virus, they, they're sort of vulnerable as well and could be exposed. So it's a bit of an internal lockdown as well for us. Mm. And I think often people, you know, like myself, forget we're watching the news and all that kind of stuff. And obviously everything's taken up by the virus, but you've got patients like you're still seeing that have uh, infections. You know, you're in, a, you're in a, an environment with... Uh, a tropical disease clinic so you know you've got other patients needing mm. other things too and um exactly. I know there's a lot of you know there's a lot of conversation on the cancer side you know people really standing up and saying don't forget about us so 
Absolutely. You know, you're you're obviously doing what you do every day, and then obviously you've got that that pharmacy side as well. So you might need to reach into that toolbox, and then obviously you've got all the COVID cases. So um, yeah, no, that's uh, it's it's hectic. But then obviously, you know, it sounds like uh, you're you're doing the best you can, and then obviously you're you know you're adjusting to a new shift pattern. But at the moment, you're you're feeling well in yourself, and you're just kind of taking it day by day. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I would I would say so. I think there's a lot of uncertainty and I think uncertainty is the thing that's making everyone nervous um I was speaking to I mean obviously everyone has good days and bad days I was speaking to one of my friends who's a nurse in A&E yesterday and she was getting quite tearful actually which is unusual to see she's a very stoic uh, young woman and very driven and it was sort of unnerving to see that but I think her main concern was she just doesn't know if she's going to get the virus, if and when she's going to get symptoms, will she be fine, will she risk giving it to her housemates. And the difficulty as well with the Public Health England guidelines are that if one of your household contacts is um, displaying symptoms, um, the person displaying the symptoms has to isolate for seven days, but then the rest of your household contacts have to isolate for 14 days, and that's accounting for the incubation period that we anticipate the virus has. So that could mean if you're living in a house of nurses or doctors, that can mean four or five people are just out of action and can't come into work. And I think that's what's um, sort of causing a lot of anxiety amongst frontline staff, as much as obviously the rest to ourselves. But I think a lot of people tend to be concerned about everyone else, um, family members, friends, housemates and so on. So I would say it's the uncertainty more than anything. But yeah, day by day, you can only really take it a day at a time at this rate. You know, we're learning more and more every day. And as, as are you guys, you know, we, we still listen to five o'clock updates um, in the doctor's mess if we've got a minute to. So, mm. yeah, we're, we're sort of learning at the same rate almost, I said. Mm. And I think, you know, look, we can we can obviously go over these things and it's great to get a bit of a snapshot about what you do. Um, but I think also because we've got some of your time, it'd be cool to know yeah, from a listener point of view, you know, why why did you get into doing what you're doing? Obviously, at this moment in time, people like yourselves are so important. But, you know, you didn't know you'd be required in this way. So how did you kind of like get into uh, medicine? You know, why did you get into it? Uh, why are you interested in uh, the pharmacy side of things? It'd be good to get that perspective and just, um, you know, shift uh, shift the conversation a little bit. Yeah, of course, yeah, and so it takes away from uh, discussing the obvious, doesn't it? So that's that's nice to have a bit of a, a lateral perspective. So, um, yeah, no, no, thank you for your kind words. Um, I so I did pharmacy as my first degree, and that was at UCL in in London. And I, I think I just sort of uh, I had family members who were unwell during my youth, and I was always sort of fascinated by. Uh, chemistry, but also the practical applications of that. So in a pharmaceutical context, which led me to study pharmacy. And pharmacy is a, a master's degree, so it's a four years undergraduate master's. So I spent four years at UCL, um, did an industrial placement as part of that um, in Big Pharma, um, and then was toying with the idea of doing a PhD um, and was talked into applying for medicine as a graduate um, by a friend who'd done the same, got in um, to study medicine at Birmingham as a grad. So it's a sort of fast track course, which means you spend four years studying instead of, say, five or six, which you would as an undergraduate. Um, absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I, I don't think my dad was very impressed and likes to remind me how much I'm costing him in terms of student debt um, <laughs> because he helped, helped helped with a little bit of the financing. It's not, it's not cheap to do two degrees, and I appreciate I, I'm very lucky to have been able to do that um but i really felt i was absolutely doing the right thing that i i think i was 
um, you know, had always wanted to do, which was, you know, kind of helping people, but also being able to continue my research and sort of see, as I say, both sides of the fence. So how we can sort of support people from a drug development point of view, mm. learning more about new medicines. And I continued that work, which was part of a group of U- at UCL whilst I was a medical student. Um, and in that way, also got into uh, three-dimensional printing of medicines. Now, uh, there's a group at UCL, which I was a part of, and they're still doing that. Um, and it's just absolutely fascinating work. And it, essentially, it is what it says on the tin. You um, have a drug. We worked a lot with... Um, drugs used in inflammatory bowel diseases, so uh, Crohn's and colitis. This group is still active, by the way. I'm just no longer a part of it. Um, so using things like anti, sort of very strong anti-inflammatories, mesalazine, for those listeners who may be familiar with these diseases and the drugs that are used, and printing them quite literally into the shape of a tablet um, using our 3D printed software. And the idea being that you can also personalise that medicine to a particular individual. So rather than a fixed dose that you would get from a manufacturer, be it sort of, you know, five milligrams or 10 milligram tablet, we could print 8.72 milligrams um, in a tablet, and that would be tailored to an individual if they're having side effects from too high or too low a dose. Um, and so that, that was really interesting just to be a part of, and that was quite exciting. Um, whilst again, I was still studying for my finals <laughs> as, as a med student. Um, and there is a, I'm not sure how many of your listeners may be familiar with the career paths of doctors, but what tends to happen in a nutshell is you you study um, medicine in as a degree and once you graduate you then almost inevitably everyone goes into work for the nhs if you're in the uk and you do two initial years um post graduation which are called foundation training years and that's kind of just a mix of everything and that the idea being it gives you a great deal of exposure to lots of different specialties and upskills you to prepare for a career in a specialty that you then choose so you rotate every four months through different jobs um, over those two years. Um, but one option is to also do uh, what they call an academic foundation program, which is one of those jobs will just be a four-month research block. Uh, and I was very lucky to get my first choice job, which was in London, and that was working um, in the liver unit at um, a specialist liver hospital. Uh, and that was, that was incredibly exciting, and that was working with a lot of patients who... Uh, were liver transplant patients or who had very um, debilitating but also very clinically interesting uh, liver diseases and I think it was just my first exposure to working with such a disenfranchised group and I think the perception can be that uh, you know and I certainly come across a lot of prejudiced clinicians and non-clinicians alike who think oh liver patients are just all alcoholics or you know have a or you know hepatitis patients and have I think that I think that view is certainly one that's leaving um profession and sort of the public perception but it was certainly um something that wasn't popular a couple of years ago and even now it's it's very interesting there's so much autoimmunity there parasites um people who you know developed fatty liver diseases as well it's a massive massive group of patients and you know but you, you treating them is a it's, it's, it's fascinating because you can make very sick patients quite well, um, quite quickly, uh, and that's either through transplantation or certain medicines that we use. And I got involved in a, a, I was lucky enough to be involved in a clinical trial there, which unfortunately due to current events has been put on hold, as is the rest of everyone's research from what I can see. Um, but looking at using very novel therapies um, to treat uh, patients with almost end-stage liver disease. Um, so targeting the gut microbiome, I know you've got a, an interest in that, Matt. Um, but that's sort of, you know, our next our next stage of interest, which is looking at the gut microbiome and how we can manipulate that to benefit people with 
liver disease and digestive diseases. So it was. I've, I've just been very lucky, to be honest. It's been a combination of being in the right place at the right time and um, pestering the right people, I suppose, um, and not taking it for an answer. But, uh, and, you know, it's something that I'm interested as in research as much as I am the clinical. But I, I, I don't think I can necessarily pick one or the other. I do, I do love the clinical. I like being on the wards. I like talking to patients. I like seeing patients and I think most doctors feel the same you wouldn't necessarily be a doctor if that wasn't something you wanted to pursue so I, I suppose that that's that hopefully that gives you an idea of my background and why I've got to where I am but mm. I would say a lot of it has been luck well I think that's it and, you know the environment gives you that ability to be able to do so many things like you've explained there but you just have to you know for want of a better term get stuck in and you know it is riding a bit of luck but it sounds like obviously you're you're consistent you're motivated and you and you want to try and look at a few different aspects too so um yeah the liver stuff is really interesting and it's definitely something that I've never spoken about on the pod before and most people just don't even think about you know it's yeah, all I, yeah I agree yeah it's uh and it's interesting you know how much can I know like you said it's ongoing the research and things but how much can you talk about that um, you know, gut uh, liver connection and, and what you guys were doing there in terms of some of the research or is it still uh, to be teased out and, and there's a kind of lid on that at the moment? Um, a, a lot of it I think is still to be teased out and I think the, the future of it, I, I don't want to say it's uncertain but obviously as I say everything's kind of had to be put on hold and paused a little while whilst we deal with uh, current events as it were. Um, but a, lo- a lot of the things, so I, I can probably talk in detail about how and why we target the gut microbiome, and hopefully that will give a bit more insight. Um, liver patients, uh, so when I say that, uh, there are different stages of liver disease. So um, end-stage liver disease, which is um, a cirrhotic liver, that's when your liver is damaged to the point whereby you can't really reverse the damage that's been done. Um, we know that the liver has a self-regenerating capacity to a certain extent, um, but there are many different causes of end-stage liver disease. So um, sort of um, alcohol excess and alcohol-induced damage is one of them, but so are infections, and that can be hepatitis, A to E, um, autoimmune causes, drug-induced causes, um, parasitic causes. There are a wide variety of causes. And I think, uh, to be honest, and I'm, I'm, I'm in this group, that I absolutely took my liver for granted until I started working on the liver unit, and I realised just, you know, what how debilitating this disease, you know, these diseases can be. Um, but one thing that is emerging um, from what we can see in the literature, and this is all over the world, we, we collaborate with, um, there's, a, there's something, uh, there's a unit that we collaborate with, it's called uh, Kings Together, and it's a, a sort of a triumvirate of guys in St. Thomas's and King's hospitals where, you know, sort of collaboration between different academics is strongly encouraged and supported. Um, to try and find solutions to treating um, these diseases, and that's um, you know PhD doctors as much as the medics, um, but also with um, our international colleagues as well. So there's a, a really interesting group um, in America that are looking at the same thing that we are, which is trying to um, reduce, reverse something called dysbiosis. I think you talked about this a little bit on the pod as well, which is where we have a, a healthy um, population of gut bacteria. Everyone does, or well, in a in a healthy person, it should be healthy. And that's made up of billions of different strains of beneficial, so good bugs, um, which keep our gut in check, so aid with digestion, breakdown of food, they protect the the gut wall barrier, they stop toxins from getting across into our bloodstream. And what we're identifying is that in patients with um, 
liver diseases, the bacteria in our guts are either sort of their diversity is limited, um, they're not as protective as they would be in a healthy individual, there's more chance that toxins from the gut can leak across um, the gut barrier and the gut wall itself is not as strong as it should be. And actually, if we, we've, we've shown that we can potentially target that, um, reverse the dysbiosis, and that can help with the symptoms of liver disease and stop um, rapid decline um, in a patient's clinical status. Um, I think there's a lot of early evidence, um, which is still quite preliminary for the role of things like probiotics and prebiotics, but I think it's certainly very promising. And that's I know that that's being looked at in particular, um, but also the role of um, fecal microbial transplantation as well, which is a very dirty topic um, just by definition, which is um, for those of your listeners, who, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to put off a lot of your listeners and apologies if you lose them, um, but it's essentially you're taking uh, the stool, so poo sample from a healthy person uh, who is rigorously selected for their good gut um, bacteria and diversity and you transplant it either through endoscopy or in a, in a capsule uh, to a patient with dysbiosis and the idea being that you kind of give their gut a boost you um, enrich it with all these healthy bacterial strains and then that sort of helps to correct some of that dysbiosis as well and helps their guts become a little bit healthier um, and that's been trialled in the US as well as in the UK and I think uh, other trials are emerging elsewhere in the world but um, it's, it's, it's just fascinating as to how, how this works and how we know so little really about the bugs in our gut and how that influences disease states but I think we're learning more and more um, as time goes on but yeah it's exciting it's an exciting field to work in. Mm. And I think you know on a completely different level when I when I see people um, more often now the conversation around gut and uh, mood or uh, hunger or general health Mm. people are starting to connect that a little bit more and asking questions so you're right I think you know, we have to be a little bit careful and it's a huge industry, probiotics and, um, you know, every person on Instagram is always talking about healthy gut, etc. But health, I think yeah, yeah. it yeah. is, you know, it is he- hearing from hearing from you what's going on in terms of the research side of things. Obviously, before the virus and everything's kind of happened, it, uh, you know, it's it's really moving forward. Um, and I'd like it's kind of putting you on a spot a little bit. I know we didn't really discuss this before, but... It'd be cool to know uh, your kind of point of view on the actual testing methods, because obviously if someone's heard a little bit about this and then they've heard about the endpoint kind of fecal transplants and it's really promising and you talked a little bit about a healthy person and a healthy gut, obviously it's not defined in the literature yet, but in some of the work that you're doing, how how is your group or groups that you know of kind of testing the gut? Because obviously in the nutritional therapy world we've got these big companies like genova diagnostics in vivo biolab they're all offering all these tests um and you know a lot of my colleagues are quite on board with them some are still on the fence um they're obviously very expensive for for people to to buy um and often clinicians and registered nutritionists have to do it which is obviously the right thing to do um but you know what goes on on your side in terms of testing because obviously you can't do, you can't really guess this stuff um and i know quite a few people um in the nutrition industry and especially people now that can go and just buy these things almost off the shelves and online um they are testing themselves with them so it's uh, yeah it's it's just making making sure people have the 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 right information about them really 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I sort of very much agree with what you've touched on. I think the, the problem is a lot of these tests um, and a lot of these, as I mentioned, you know, ultimately prebiotics and probiotics are still classified as food supplements. They don't have a medical license. And what that means is they cannot be classified as drugs. Therefore, they can't be classified as having a proven health benefit. They haven't. A lot of them, I, to my knowledge, I don't think any of them have been put through a rigorous clinical trial which demonstrates their efficacy and therefore we can reliably say as doctors oh this 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 is almost as good as a medicine i mean there are certainly trials out there which show that these sort of supplements as it were may have a benefit but we can't say that for sure and therefore i can't necessarily advocate that as a doctor you know these things may well help but it's not something we would recommend over say an established medical treatment and i think that's where the gray area tends to lie is there's a lot of anecdotal evidence out there and as you say you know i think social media can be a wonderful thing but when you've got um people who don't have a lot of medical experience or qualifications you know who aren't registered nutritionists but you know pass themselves off as um, you know, knowing about nutrition and good, good health, uh, are advocating these unvalidated tests. It can be quite misleading. Um, and also, I, I, on a personal level, I have an issue with uh, a lot of these tests and apps and um, and really and, and and the like. You know, generating a lot of data, but which can be really, really subjective when you come to interpret it. And if you have a lay person who's, you know, say had a one of these fancy DNA testing kits, which shows their different types of food sensitivity and what activity they should be doing and how good their gut health is based on, I don't know, a mouth swab and a blood test. Um, and they don't really know how to interpret or understand that information. They might just believe what's being told to them because they think, oh, you know, that this is, I paid a lot of money for this, therefore this is obviously a very valid thing to do. Or, you know, I'm being told that a doctor's had a look at my results and this is what they're telling me, therefore I'm nine. I've, I've had friends who paid, you know, upwards of £200 for tests who aren't, who aren't medics and have come back to me and said, oh, it says, you know, I should do more cardio training based on, or, you know, strength training based on what this mouth swab has told me. Is that true? Um, and it's not really clear how these tests are processed either. I think a lot of them claim to be sort of involved some form of genomic screening. And I'm not, I can't, I can't comment because I don't know exactly what's involved in the tests. We don't work with them. But I mean, certainly what we do um, in the lab and in our clinical trials is is kind of what's already established. So we look at the basis of um, clinical performance um, and we use established um, performance scales for that, as well as blood tests, imaging, um, the things that we would do for a patient in a hospital um, and not just, as you, as you say, these fancy um, but expensive and not necessarily rigorously evaluated tests. I would... I mean, as I say, I'm, I'm not involved in, uh, I'm certainly not sponsored by any of them or I, I don't associate with um, any of the companies that produce them. I'm sure there may well be some value in them, but I'd be reluctant as a, as a medical professional to advocate for their use. But I agree, and I, I appreciate you've, you've, as you say, you've got colleagues and um, fellow registered healthcare professionals who probably have dabbled with them and used them, but uh, it's it, uh, yeah, it's difficult when you're trying to communicate to a lay audience who... Um, you know, as you say, kind of wondering, what does this mean for my gut health? Does this mean I've got a good gut or a bad gut? It can probably cause a lot of healthcare-related anxiety, I'm sure. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, um, you know, it's just important to to step back and look at things and just think mm. about 
um, what's what are the best tools at the moment and I'm sure there there's always going to be cases and people listening to this that have maybe you know tried everything under the sun and then have done some kind of test like you said either blood or saliva or stool related and even though it isn't necessarily validated they might feel better in themselves but usually it's you know it's to do with that combination of of changes that they've done in their in their lifestyle really and I know that's quite a reductionist mm. thing to say but like you said if if people can um just be more consistent in terms of their perspective on life and health and then start thinking about whole foods and sunlight and sleep and water and um you know we know that makes a huge difference to the to the microbiome and and, and the 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 uh, amounts of you know good bad bacteria etc so um yeah i think it's it's interesting and it's important to kind of like put a pin in it at the moment um and then you know if someone like yourself who is working in this area or was you know has a lot of colleagues and very smart individuals who are kind of dedicating their life to this kind of research and then if you're saying like look it's promising but we're not there yet um you know i think that's that's a good thing to tease out and it just allows people to listen to this and say you know what, I'm just going to keep an eye on the gut health side of things. Um, I can keep looking at foods and combinations. And I think now it's it's good that you've kind of classified these probiotics and things as, you know, food substances. And, and uh, hopefully that's just a little bit clearer in some of the listeners' minds now. So, um, no, I think that was really good. Really, really good and really clear. Um, and then, yeah, so in terms of you and uh the way you kind of keep active and eat and uh look after yourself um because obviously life's been turned upside down and things like that how are you getting on with things and and trying to stay energized and you know do you take things into work do you tend to kind of eat before and after what kind of happens there because obviously um you know you've got a very busy lifestyle and you're very full on at the moment Oh, you've, you've really put me on the spot now because this is where it's all going to fall apart, Matt. Um, <laughs> so it's, we've been very, very lucky at the hospital I work at. We've had so many um, donations of, you know, loads of local restaurants or businesses have donated a lot of um, fruit and veg that was left over before they unfortunately had to close. Um, and, you know, just even local people have very kindly donated food, which is really, really welcome. Um I, I'm, I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be. I've got friends who meal prep every Sunday night and, you know, are very rigorous about it. I'm, I'm less so. Um, the, the irony, as opposed to touch on what you've mentioned, the irony is actually um, I've had difficulty over the past week getting into work because transport routes have been shut um, and obviously the ch- many tube stations are now closed. Um, from where I live, it's, it's a bit awkward otherwise to get into work. So I, I've decided to do a bit of a coronavirus-induced self-care and bought myself a bike last week. So for the first time since living in London over 10 years now, um, I've actually started cycling to work because the streets are empty. So if anything, it's made me more of an outdoors person and it means I get my exercise to and from work, um, which is nice. But I think it's... I'm, I'm very... Um, athletically minded I think exercise is very important to me um, diet I tend to fall down on just by virtue of you can go a whole day on a long shift and realise that you know all you've had to eat is a handful of nuts or a Snickers bar mm. um, and and I won't admit to be perfect at all in, in, in that in that sense and I, I spend far too much in Costa coffee mm. um, for sure um, but I, I find especially when you've had a hard shift or you've had to break a lot of bad news which we've had to unfortunately do a lot more of lately um, and things can feel like <clears throat> they're getting a bit on top of you. Um, exercise, for me, always helps to clear my mind. That's always been the case. And even when I was you know, studying for my degrees or even going back to A-levels, 
just going for a run or doing a HIIT workout at home, I've always found that for me personally to be really, really helpful. And it doesn't even have to be that. I mean, yoga or Pilates, I mean, I know that you're involved with um, running, well, up until recently, you know, running groups in London, getting community involved, getting outside. And it's difficult in London, um, given that we don't have many green spaces other than sort of the central parks, but I think going out, getting some fresh air, clearing your head, that always helps. Um, but yeah, I suppose where, where it comes to diet and nutrition, I, sh- I shall uh, defer to your expertise, given given that that is your, that is your remit. And I suppose one thing as doctors, and I should probably clarify this with your listeners, is we don't get a lot of um, nutrition education when we study to be doctors. It's not something I profess to be an expert in at all. That is why we have nutritionists. It's why we have dietitians. You guys are the experts um, and have studied hard and know way more than we do. So um, they're always a valued part of our team, especially on the living units in particular. Um, but yeah, yeah, we could probably learn a bit more from you. Maybe maybe we should have nutrition-led education for staff at the moment about how to keep healthy. That would, that would certainly be welcome, I'm sure. No, I think it's just all working together. You know, I had, um, yeah. it was interesting, I had a lady called Ali on, um, if you haven't listened to that mm. show, lovely people kind of yeah, go yeah, back yeah. and, um, you know, what they're doing down in Bristol and the Nutri-Tank kind of, uh, uh, I don't yeah, really know what to call it. Day. I suppose it's just like an education hub. Um, mm. But the thing is, you know, it's just important. And some people do blur the lines, but I think, you know, it's all about food and medicine. Um, and, and I think what you said there, obviously, end scale, trying to keep someone alive, look after someone liver transplants um you know i know it's a little bit nitty gritty but these these kind of uh, new method of stool transplants uh, antibiotics medicines you know it's uh, it's often people can kind of uh, try to forget about these things and try to heal themselves through food but it still goes without saying if you're unwell you know what what you guys do and 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 um you know everything in in that side of things is absolutely crucial to keep someone alive mm. and it's great you know we could talk until the cows come home about uh yeah. foods vegetables that grow above the ground diversity this thingy that um but you know i can definitely say that i'd always try to uh, avoid you know pills and all these kind of things and then boom a couple of years ago i got pneumonia and i was uh you know, seriously unwell, going from being the fittest, the strongest, the most athletic, the most motivated person, and then boom, you know, you're 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 living on um whatever the, you know, the 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 doctors giving you and and you know whatever the nurse is giving you and all those kind of things. So it has, you know, we have to work together in that. And um, yeah, No, but it's just good to have you on because obviously we can sweat the small stuff and we can discuss research and think about nutrition and activity and things like that but you're you know you're doing it and you're living it kind of day to day and of course you know not everyone's diet's perfect I'm always about um you know do as I say not as I do as a nutritionist <laughs> so I think if you follow me yeah because I think if you follow me you know if you if if you kind of ate the amount of food that I eat in a day it's just not going to work for for you because obviously that's you know that's just how I kind of do things so um no I think I think it's this show is then hopefully going to give some people you know some really interesting things to think about I think the key takeaway for me was um you know some of the amazing stuff that's being done with 3d printing of medicines that is unbelievable yeah it's pretty cool I won't lie that's that's been a fun part of my work yeah it's unbelievable cool okay well um you know 
are you trying to obviously just get back on board with things at home and you've got a bit of a day off? I know that obviously you're on, on and off the phone with uh, team members and senior consultants and things like this, but obviously you said you're you're athletically minded. Um, you know, what kind of other things do you do you tend to do when you recharge or is it a kind of get back and, you know, see see what the home's like and kind of uh, relax for a bit and then it's off again, is it? Um, it, it fluctuates, I must admit. Um, I, I, th- I think I think this is my first day off in about nine days now, um, and, and, that, and that's worrying that I've just lost track of when I last had a day off. Um, obviously, work is very energetic, and you know you, you do run on adrenaline a lot of the time, especially um, with what's going on at the moment. So actually, um, it was quite nice to have a bit of a lie-in today. I, I won't lie. I mean, I do try and do some form of movement every day. Um, that's just purely for my own mental health. Um, but I, I must admit, I'm, I'm I'm probably going to have a lazy one um, today. I think this is this is the most active I'm going to be all day talking to you, Matt. Um, no, that's good. But, yeah, okay. I think, I think that's important, though, you know, and, and one thing that's been really positive uh, from my hospital especially, but I think this is definitely becoming an NHS-wide thing, is, you know, how important it is for staff to take care of themselves as well. We don't want our workers getting stressed out or sick. Um, and so I think I'm hoping that the, the rotors across the board will reflect that and people have enough time off to recharge and then we can make sure that we're a strong enough work, workforce to deal with what's coming over the next few weeks to months but, mm. but yeah and I hope it well I hope you're keeping well as well um as we, as we talked about before mm. um and I, I watch your Instagram stories so I know you're staying active with the dogs try to yeah getting, <laughs> getting around runs, yeah now well like you said it's just little bits isn't it and I think it's um mm. I've, I've said this a few times on the pod but I like that quote um you know trying to be the best at the things that take no talent at all so you know just uh, organizing things through the day um, I'm not saying you have to go out and hammer workouts, but you know, taking time for movement. I had one of my yeah. good mates on on the podcast recently, and he kind of specialises in ergonomics. So you know, just moving positions if you're working from home, trying to get some sunlight, trying to drink loads of water. Obviously, you could debate, you know, eating well. For some people, it's a skill because you have to prepare food, source it, understand how to make things tasty. But it is just it is just the little things. And um, no, I think it's it's good to get you on the show because you know we've 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 really gone into some interesting areas and i think um if people want to uh follow anything in terms of obviously you know I'll, I'll link to you um online so people can reach out but then also in terms of uh some of the research if there's anything that's that's out there or some of the um information about uh your work on the liver or is there anything basically that you can signpost people to if they want to read a little bit more you know some people have got time on their hands and they might be quite interested in this kind of stuff yeah absolutely um i would probably direct people more towards um if you're if you're not a a medical professional um i mean that that sounds patronizing i don't mean it in that way but Mm. um for those of you that don't want to read um very detailed um big worded journals even even some of the words i don't understand um the british liver trust is an excellent uh, charity and they also have a lot of amazing resources there um i, I don't think I've, I've done enough justice to how important the role of nutrition is in um managing acute as well as chronic liver diseases and you know one one thing i, sh- I just wanted to add was actually you've just reminded me with what you were saying um, when I started as a junior um, on, on the liver unit um, at my hospital, there was a, one consultant who was having a chat with the team and said, what's the most important thing we need to do for, um, you know, patients with X, Y, and Z disease? And everyone came up with their different answers. He said, no, the answer is nutrition, because you consume so many calories in trying to fight 
um, metabolic diseases that uh, we we sometimes overlook that and we don't give people the proper nutrition well you know we always try to but it can be something that we don't necessarily think of first and foremost as you say you think oh no they're in hospital manage them with pills um, but that's certainly, you know, the, the nutrition resources on the British Liver Trust are, are pretty great. So that's probably going to be my first recommendation. Um, I'm happy to signpost people accordingly if anyone wants to know more um, about what it is that I do in particular or indeed, um, you, you know, or, or any of the 3D printing stuff as well. Um, so I'm sort of sitting on the fence between both. Uh, but yeah, I'm more than happy to have people reach out and have a chat. Absolutely. Cool. Now, I think that's a really good point. And, um, you know, people might not realise that when, you know, you're healing or recovering or you have an infection, you know, your metabolic rate will change. And obviously it's just trying to meet, meet energy needs. And, and people often think if you're bed bound, you know, bang, you better reduce your calories tenfold. But actually often it's I'm not saying it's the other way. You know, you eat loads more, you know, two, three, four times more and stuff your face. But often it's, um, you know, it's it's like you said, meeting energy needs and then kind of going from there. But yeah, it's so interesting. I remember um, last year getting quite interested in, because I'm, I'm a huge coffee fan. I stumbled across yeah, some yeah. Uh, research in, in, in coffee and, and, and the liver. Um, and, and I found that fascinating because I just wanted to change the tune. You know, people were always talking about coffee and saying like, look, you know, you've got to always reduce it. But because there's some interesting and you know still quite unknown health giving properties there i kind of went down a bit of a liquid nutrition route uh, rabbit hole and and thought you yeah. know what what are the kind of other small variable benefits that people can do in just getting interested in black tea black coffee um so yeah that's another thing i'll, I'll try and dig those um research papers out and link to those too so um no it's interesting i think focusing on the liver just gives some someone um, you know, if, if you are listening to this and, and, and you want to kind of um, look into nutrition or medicines for health, um, you know, the liver isn't necessarily talked about. And it's obviously the um, it's, it's the largest organ in the body, isn't it? Trying well, it's the think. skin first, but yeah, I think people always forget about the skin. Yes. Um, oh, OK. That's a quiz question. Well, it's, then it's, you're it's right. One, it's, one of my, it's one of my favourite organs. Cool. Okay. Well, look, Grace, look, thanks so much for your time on your day off after nine days of working, cracking a, you know, like huge conversation with me. But look, as always, I get questions and people come back to me. Obviously, you know, you reached out to me um, and I stay in touch with listeners and things on the pod. So if you have any questions, lovely people, let me know. Um, You know, obviously, Grace approached me. She's very approachable on Instagram, too. And, um, you know, maybe I'll get you on hopefully when this calms down a bit and you know you're, you're back into some of the things that you've been working on before the virus we can get you back on the show and we can you know dig into some some uh, rabbit holes around some more information on the liver or we could talk more about the gut microbiome from a medical point of view i think that'd be really cool sounds good no thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it no great cool okay lovely people look as always if you like the show please share it with someone Um, look after yourself maintain the social distance keep washing your hands and um, stay at home yes that is it that is it and look hopefully if you've got something valuable out of this show please share it and you know it's a good opportunity if you are well in yourself and you're thinking about how to fill your day you know just reading about things around health nutrition medicine physical activity Um, so hopefully this will go in your toolbox and um, yeah have a healthy week